Greetings, adventurers, and welcome to the Shadow of the GM podcast, with me, your host, GM Shadow. Welcome to the very much delayed episode 19 of Shadow of the GM podcast. Today I'm going to have a little bit of a chat around my flip-flopping and indecisiveness around RPGs and the fact I want to play loads of them, which I think we all suffer from, but I'll talk a bit more about that. Also going to do a quick recap first, an after-action report around the game of Mothership. I mentioned it last time that I played in it, but last week I actually GM'd a whole session, so a bit of a talk about how that went and how I feel about the system having run it as well as played it, and talk about those kind of things, and then just ramble on about how things are going at the moment. So without any more wasting of time, I shall pass you on to Jason, who in fact does talk about Mothership that we mentioned last time. I gotta tell you, I'm kind of disappointed in these short episodes. Just kidding. It's great to hear you again. Enjoyed your podcast. I haven't played Mothership. Um, to be honest, I haven't played Stay Frosty either. From what I understand, Mothership's a slick presentation. Stay Frosty is a little bit simpler and uh, runs a little bit easier. So, from the people I've talked to, they're kind of more, a little more experienced both. They seem to prefer Stay Frosty, but I've not heard bad things about Mothership, and I'm encouraged by what, by your play, so I look forward to hearing more about Mothership. I have um, Frostgrave and Shadows of the, or Rangers of Shadow Deep, whatever it is. I haven't played either, to be honest. Conrad um, Kinch, of course, is your, your expert on both those, so, and I guess that's about it. I'll talk to you later. Thank you, Jason, there from Nerds RPG Variety Cast. Jason, now my only friend on Anchor. He's the only one who rings in to leave me any messages. Everybody else doesn't like me anymore. No, not really. Everyone's been super busy with COVID, which, to be fair, is the reason why I'm so far behind with all my podcast episodes as well. Um, I'd love to be putting more out there. I've got loads of ideas, but she's getting the time to actually sit down and record, even in this kind of fairly fast and loose way. It's been very difficult at the moment. Um, pick up on Jason's points there. Yeah, I've not played Stay Frosty. I did sort of look at it, but it costs money, and at the moment, money's not the thing I've got a lot of. So Mothership, because it's in a beta mode, um, the rules are actually free, so you get the survival guide for free. There are adventure modules which cost money and they'd have to invest in one of those in the end um, just to give me some ideas around about how you design monsters adversaries etc in the game because that's not explained in the survival guide there will be a GM's guide I believe coming out when he eventually writes that as part of the project um, we just need to try stay frosty at some point in time so um, just pick up your other point, Frostgrave and Rangers of Shadow Deep. So I did a little bit of the solo play of Frostgrave and I kind of liked it. It was difficult playing it solo on roll 20 because there was lots of rolling dice between me and the opponent. And there's a bit of a, because I'd made the combat statistics an integrated character sheet for the combat statistics on roll 20. There's lots of clicking backwards and forwards. It probably wasn't the easiest way of doing it. I feel if you just played it, it'd be a lot easier. You just roll dice and you'd be able to work it out. But it was a little bit clunky with roll 20. But, you know, I kind of enjoyed the system. It's fairly simple. It did what it did. I mean, having looked at Rangers of Shadow Deep very briefly, although I've not played it yet either, again, because of time, commitment, money, all the rest of it, um, it looks a bit more in-depth, a little more around skills and things. It looks like a more sort of crossing towards the RPG system. There are definitely things I'd be interested in, in doing something with in the future, but I think at the moment they're not... I've kind of shelved them a little bit again now because of 
getting sucked away by everything else we're playing. Um, Jason, also this is an apology to say I am going to try and get the Boot Hill game back up and running. I know you've been speaking to Andy, um, so we've got to get the Boot Hill play by post up and running, and then hopefully we can start sharing some of our experiences on here as well. So without any more, again, a waffle waffle talking to you, <laughs> just me and Jason. Just me and Jason show. This is me and Jason chatting about what we're doing, what we want to do all the time. Um, but anyway, I'm going to move on now to the main podcast. So attempt to keep some sort of structure to this and not just ramble on wildly and wildly because it's been so long and, you know, and going into isolation and rocking in a corner somewhere. <laughs> uh, bring up first by talking about the Mothership game. Um, so it was an interesting experience because I was playing in the middle of the day, UK time, which meant one of the players, who was a GM from last time, was a French national who apparently currently lives in Korea teaching English to people in Korea. So he was French. So it was an interesting experience there with the language. It was actually really good. It's one of those things about a second language that, you know, I can't speak French, but very basic and actually where the toilet is and maybe order some food. But, you know, he was the only thing he was struggling with were very much the idiomatic stuff in the English language about the actual phrases and things. So it was really good. I felt like I was educating him on some English phrases as well as we're going through these games. Um, and then there was um, a couple of players. One was from America and one was from Australia who were playing at the same time as well. So it's quite a, quite a multinational kind of group that we're playing with in the game. Um, as to be said, I did really enjoy running the system. It is very sort of rules light. It's a percentile based roll under system. I think I mentioned last time. It's got a sort of fairly simplified skill mechanic, which runs into the combat system. Um, so you have sort of four core stats. I won't go into it because I don't like telling too much about game systems and people in them. Um, but you've essentially got things like, you know, one for, for doing strength things, one for intelligence based roles, then you sort of combat. Um, stat as well. Um, you've then got skills that sort of delineate down things. And there's three levels of skills which add to your core stats when you use them. That's a little bit iffy because it seems a bit strange in the way it represents in the core rules because it sounds like you sort of build your skills in a sort of skill tree mechanism. There's lines, sort of flowchart lines sort of showing how they all interconnect. But sort of weird foible is that if you have, say, computing at the plus 10% one, if you then take hacking at plus 15%, if you do something that's not hacking using the computer, you go back to plus 10, even though you technically are more competent because you've got this hacking ability. So I felt that's something that's not terribly clear in the rules. Um, and it's something I might feedback about whether would you use a higher skill level for something even though it's not technically appropriate to that, but it shows that you've got further sort of education on those areas when it comes to the skills. So that was a little bit of a foible in the rules we came across. A bit like games like Call of Cthulhu, it's got these sort of saving throws. So there's a sanity check and there's a fright check, which is interesting having the two separate ones. So one is for if you see something which affects how you perceive reality. So sanity check might be, for example, that the angles are all wrong and you realize that the universe shouldn't work that way. Uh, the fear check is more for, as it suggests, things that scare you, that terrify you. Um, so there's always a little bit of blurring we notice as to whether something hits the sanity line or hits the fear line. Um, it's a class-based game as well. So you have uh, four different options for your class. You have the Marine, you have the Scientist, you have the Teamster, which is effectively a crew member for a ship and covers lots of different things, and Android. So Android, although you can argue a race, is sort of handled by a class, which isn't you know, not unusual if you're old school, you kind of see it. Um, stats are done old school as well. I should say you roll them in line when you create them, uh, which again was quite interesting. A few people would be like, oh, really, with that? So that was quite interesting to see that go on. Um, so I guess talk less about that and actually running the game so from a gm's perspective it was quite easy i did the usual thing that i do where i had about three weeks to prepare this game and then because of everything in life i pretty much prepped it 
think two days beforehand um but it actually really worked with it like i said so basically it uh, had the game set on a spaceship and the idea was the crew were woken up from their hypersleep and then discovered everything had gone a bit awry again we'll go too much detail in case i use this plot for another game i play with any of you guys in the future which might happen um and it was about them finding what happened finding the crew in their various states that they were in uh fighting the things that we're now there, not to give too much away. Um, and it worked really well. It's a fairly slick kind of system. It's quite intuitive and you just like roll one of your core stats, maybe add a skill you feel it was appropriate. Um, they were quite good. The people I was playing with the kind of thinking outside the box and trying different things. I mean, I always plan quite open box. I don't, I did say to this at the end, I don't really have a set path they must follow. I kind of have triggering events and things that are counting down and it's up to them how they then decide how they're going to try and solve it. So they found the ship had been evacuated. There was escape pods, and there was quite a lot of interesting things. Um, the interplay between characters is quite good, but that's more the players rather than the system, really, than the thing anything else. Um, I've always been told it's quite a deadly system. To be fair, it took quite a bit to kill people. <laughs> Not that I was trying, but we did have a death of one of the party members, sort of quite near the end. It was quite dramatic and quite appropriate. Um, she was playing a marine, and she basically helped her android colleague escape uh, to get back to the bridge, but sort of sacrificed herself to try and save him in a way to try and hold off the thing that was attacking them at the time. Um, and so death's quite quick when it does come. Um, there's a mechanic from the point of view of the creatures in the game. So when you're playing the um, what's called the Warden, which is a GM, as I like to give different names for GMs in some of these games role, the creatures you have, they have a set number of hit points, but they also have a number of hits. And the idea is each time you hit the hit point total, you take one of the hits off. Um, so for example, if you have a 30 hit point, six hit creature, you have to do 30 points of damage to it each time to take off one of the hits. Now, the key there is that the damage doesn't roll over. So if you do 35 points of damage and go down from six hits to five, you then start the next hit attack on them with having 35 not 25 five if that makes sense and the sort of game designer explained that from the point of view of that the creatures were meant to have an advantage of you over that and the idea was that you wouldn't have these ridiculous kind of one-shot kills where you know you can use a really powerful weapon in theory you can't completely destroy this like you know thing you want to be your boss too quickly and so in some ways, it was an interesting mechanic. I can't say I particularly liked it, because at one point in time, they had this massive spaceship-cutting laser cutter, which they had fired at it. And because it had six hits, and this was me playing rules as written and not fudging it as I could have done, because I didn't really think it was a bit unfair, because you know this thing was having frag grenades thrown directly at it. It was being shot by um, laser cutters and all sorts. And so really, it ought to have probably died a lot sooner than it did. And so it did kind of drag the fight out. And so whilst that made the creature not die quickly, I did feel by the actions they took, they should have really probably been able to kill it faster. And I think that was something I'd probably tweak a bit more in the fly if I was to run the game again. So like I said, interesting mechanic. I'm not sure it's totally thought through in the sense of, you know, I guess from my point of view, simulationist realism kind of point, I didn't feel it really fitted in. You know, if it was a much bigger creature, maybe it should have done, but you know, it's one of those things. And it could have probably fudged it with some sort of, well, I did fudge it with some explanations behind how it was able to take as much damage as it could. And it did kind of work a bit dramatically for it. But I guess as me running the game, I didn't feel that mechanic was particularly what I'd, I'd stick with as written. But that being said, it's still a fairly solid system and I definitely recommend it. Um, the combat system is fairly quick. You roll your speed every turn. It's one of those where if you go, faster if you save you succeed you check a bit like black hack if you succeed you check you go before the creatures if you fail it you go after so that was quite tense when people had you know failed checks and things there's an interesting foible of the, the mechanic i can't remember described it last time that although it's a percentile system um there's a rule where criticals occur at a double so when you roll a double it's a critical so if you roll an 11 a 22 or 33 etc it's a critical now if that roll is under your 
skill stroke stat, then it's a critical success. If it's higher, then it's a critical failure. Now, what they've done with the system is that normally, as we all know from role players, a zero zero is a one hundred. Now, what they've done for this game is they've actually made a zero zero a zero, a ninety nine is the upper limit. So, in some ways, though it's percentile, it's still a one to hundred. It's kind of like a not to ninety nine rather than a one to one hundred system, and it makes sense because it means a ninety nine is a critical failure whereas zero zero isn't also a critical failure so you're not doubling up the critical failure chances you're kind of moving it back to the bottom in a way so i can see how that kind of balances but it was kind of those ones that was a little bit surprising when i first read it so i guess in that view i would say mothership's definitely worth checking out have a look at it give it a run and um, from experience i say it's quite good for one shots and maybe short games i don't really feel it's got legs for a long campaign i mean the idea is the characters are meant to die fairly quickly you know or go mad and shoot each other and all the rest of it there's an interesting rule for panic checks when you build up stress over time you eventually start to panic and then you start doing the sort of random killing your friends kind of things that, again we're all used to from some of the horror games um but like I said, I'm not sure that it really works for long play. Although you can build up skills and things, it doesn't really have a lot around character development going for it. So I feel like it's very much for those sort of one-shots and short games, which is fine for what we used it for, and fine for what I would use it for, but it's definitely not up there in games that I'd run a long campaign with. So yeah, in a nutshell, that's my Mothership After Action report and my feelings on the game. Just join the ranks of the likes of Goblin's Henchmen, etc. that add little addendums. I had one little addendum Mothership on the end. It was round about the combat mechanic and that's in that when you try and attack something in a mothership, and I'm going to tell you about rules now, you roll under your combat stat plus any sort of combat abilities you've got um, from your career, from your skills, um, to try and hit it. Then when you do that, the thing you hit then makes an armor save. Um, if it's a, a, a creature, it has like an instinct roll, which is what it uses for a lot of these things in place of it. It's like a one stat to roll them all, kind of model with that. So it rolls under its instinct, or if it's another person, they roll under armor, or vice versa, if it's something attacking you, it would roll to attack you, then you'd roll under your armor to see whether you resist it now uh, that mechanic i don't have an issue with it itself the fact that you roll to hit and then something rolls sort of like a save or a defense roll to try and stop it because i see that in games like you see it in gurps where people can like parry or they can dodge or they can block what i kind of didn't like is from as an example to use gurps and things as an example from that is that with the percentile system it's a very flat distribution because you're rolling anywhere on that line when you roll it it did lead to very kind of i guess frustratingly swingy results so Again, because I'm trying to play it fairly, like I said, a lot of times if I run it properly, for lack of a better word, I would fudge things, I would change things a bit. There was quite a few situations where, say, for example, if someone has a really, really high skill, they still kept missing quite frequently. Or likewise, even from my point of view, the creature they were attacking, even though it had a decent amount of protection from an armor instinct point of view, it kept failing rolls quite significantly quite a few times because, you know, you can't really control that distribution. So I guess from the point of view of having that double roll one to hit and one to defend because of the spaghetti natures of both those roles i mean there are quite a lot of occasions where not a lot was happening so either people kept missing or when people were hitting and this is on both sides then no damage was occurring because of it and i kind of felt that wasn't great for the system i felt like it ought to be especially because you've got this hit mechanic for the creature that it should be easier for you to hit things and easier for things to hit you and so i wasn't massively convinced on this rolling armor save um, issue around it because I do feel it just kind of drags things out a lot in the combat round with it basically there's a lot of times when nothing happens and we all know that nothing happening doesn't always make it exciting so I guess to throw back the parallel to GURPS so in GURPS although you have those roles what you tend to find when you play GURPS and I have played it a bit is that the attacking skill tends to be fairly high for most people if they're fighters so they do tend to hit on a fairly good sort of frequency 
usually like two thirds of the time. Um, and then the sort of parrying dodge blocking rules tend to be lower. So they tend to save less often. So there's more hits kind of generally getting through, but there's still a chance for you to block it and dodge it. So it gives you a bit of agency from the point of view of defending against it. And then in GURPS, your armor then absorbs some of that damage. So I guess what I'm saying is in GURPS, GURPS example, you'll find out why later I'm using GURPS as an example. You sort of, you know, there is a way to try and avoid damage, but you are more likely going to hit and then armor actually absorbs that damage. Whereas in Mothership, your armor is almost like a combined dodging stroke absorbing thing so which is a bit like armor class but it's not because you roll under it. it's like a saving throw sort of for restyle saving throw um and so or rather three saving throw not for wrong around um so i just kind of didn't feel it worked again for that i feel like that's something that i would probably want to tweak again and either you know alter the armor maybe down a bit or change how the armor works and maybe have it mitigate damage rather than act as a saving through against things because you have things like body saves and stuff for like injuries and stuff like you know physical ones like diseases and poisons and things like that so it's like uh, it kind of wasn't sold on the way that worked i felt it kind of you know the players will find it very hard to hit when they're not skilled, which is kind of good because civilians firing guns probably should miss more often than not. So that kind of felt realistic, but it did feel like when they did hit, there's then also a massively good chance they wouldn't injure it. Even though there's quite a good chance that vice versa, they could keep injuring it quite significantly with the pathetic weapons and damages where this like powerful grenade was going to like hit it dead on, but then not do any damage. So you see, I mean, it kind of didn't feel very that didn't feel like again that was necessarily perfectly well thought out um, or at least it was thought out but i didn't like the way it ran that's probably more accurate to say again it depends on how the design of the game wanted it to be but i feel that if say the creatures you've got have got this hit point and hit mechanic then it doesn't matter if they take damage as much it's probably better that you keep hitting it and damaging it and that absorbs to that rather than being this complicated thing of rolling this armor save every single time so yeah that's just that quick addendum on it it just sort of came to me as we listening back to the thing that i'd not covered that one and that was something i did kind of pick up on so now i'll definitely stop talking about this and move on to the next subject of my podcast That last section was more an actual review of a game. This one is a bit more rambly, to go back to being a bit more rambly. I'm just going to kind of talk about my sort of feelings of gaming at the moment and more like looking at systems. So to kind of put it in context, I've been doing the Quest for Fire as uh, Joe Richter put it, looking for a perfect system that I want to use. And there is no perfect system. We all know that. But, you know, looking for something that I'm happy with to stick with. And I guess I've been leaning towards GURPS quite a lot recently, which is why I mentioned it quite a lot in the previous example. Because um, I've had GURPS over the years, played it quite a few times. Always kind of gone off GURPS from the point of view of, this was more second and third edition, because of how long it takes to make characters, limiting factor that. Having listened to, and also the complexity of the rules, they are they can be complex if you go into the really complexity. And I've always known it's a dialing up and dialing down system, but I think when I was younger and less experienced, I was less confident in doing that, whereas now I'm a bit more sort of experienced and a bit more confident in making these sort of changes around things. What's really kind of opened my eyes a bit with fourth edition GURPS is the introduction of these te of templates where there's a lot of way to speed up the character creation system where rather than everyone have to start with like a completely blank sheet and try and think, well, how am I going to do this and how am I going to do that? It's the idea I can give players a template they can work from. So if they want to be taking Dungeon Fantasy as an example, like a knight or a holy warrior, there's a core kind of set of decisions almost pre-made for them already and so this kind of goes back to the idea of like when you look at dungeons and dragons and the like of the character class where a lot of things are kind of been built to that class but what it does give you is still that degree of flexibility and it, as well because there are no hard and fast rules in rpgs it doesn't stop people also tweaking the template slightly if they still want to drop things a bit more 
and change things, maybe drop some of the stats, etc. they can do. Um, and so I have been really tempted by it. I mean, reading the How to Be a GURPS GM has been quite good in that as well. It talks a lot about things that Che Webster talks about in his blog about, you know, starting out without magic, so doing a, like a non-magic system to get used to the main mechanics of the game and things. So you'll probably be a non-magic, non-superpower game, etc. the first time you run it, you know, psionics, and then sort of build up your experience as a GM and then start adding these things in at a later date to kind of, you know, build up those layers and those tweakabilities around it. So I think I've got a bit more confidence behind it. I do like the core system of GURPS. Um, the thing I miss with GURPS, and I've said this before, again, it's non-logical, is not having all my lovely polyhedrals. It is just a D6 system. But on the other hand, as I just said on Mothership, I think there's advantages to this kind of, you know, the bell curve rolling with 3D6 that you get a bit more of an even distribution in your rolls. And there's still those critical failures and successes, and you do still see them. Having played it, they do definitely come up. I mean, I rolled six, the 18 on 3D6 the other day when I was messing around with one of the games. So, you know, you do see the criticals and things still appear, uh, which are always fantastic when they do. And in fact, if anything, because they're more rare occurrence, it makes them a bit more special. Um, but I do sometimes miss having my D8s and my, my D20s and things. Something about a D20, I think, from playing so much D&D over the years, that's kind of become a bit iconic in my gaming. And people always see the D20 and think of RPGs. Well, I don't necessarily think of that as the D6. But, you know, I have to park that to one side. I think, well, actually, I do enjoy the mechanisms of GURPS, etc. So the main reason why it's going to be rambly is I also want to talk about Although I do like GURPS, I want to use it. The fact is, I also get massively seduced by lots of gaming systems. Um, Jason, who called in, will tell you that I'm like this, that, you know, I'll look at a game and after about five minutes, another game will sort of <clears throat> come walking by and I want to run off and play that one. And this is my problem at the moment. I am getting continually dragged into things. So, for example, I'm playing Mothership. I then thought, oh, should I run a 5e starter campaign and teach some people how to play 5e? In the background, I've still got to do my moving to the different editions of D&D with the um, other players. So, with Jason and Shandy Andy and my stepson we're doing through like a third edition all the way up to fifth and I need to get back into the, the gear of doing that. I mean we struggled because of COVID and everything we've struggled to meet and actually play those games even online and uh, so that's been the main sort of reason why we've not done that. Um, I'm running Boot Hill hopefully I play by post now back up and running again so I'm also trying to learn Boot Hill whilst trying to learn GURPS and look at those other games. There's a Kickstarter that just came out for a game which I've now also backed so you know I'll probably never run that but you know here goes I've made into it anyway. And I guess it's the thing, it's about this. So it's about the idea that, you know, there's so many games and so many systems and so many stories that I'd love to tell. And at the moment, I think this is what happens when I'm off work. Well, I'm not off work, I'm working from home, but there's a bit more free time, I guess, a bit more stuck in and my brain's gone a bit into overdrive. It's a bit like this idea that there's so many things that I want to get involved in and want to start gaming around, but just don't have the time. So it's a bit of a, there's a sense of frustration, but also of like, I don't know, flightiness where I'm moving around from left to right on different, ooh, how about this? And ooh, let's play this. And ooh, let's have a bit of game of this. And lots of ideas. And it's a little bit of like, just wanted to vocalize it and put it out there about the fact that, you know, I'm not hopefully not as flighty as I come across. I am really focused at the moment on learning GURPS and kind of concentrating. And I think I'm going to do something with GURPS. But at the same point in time, I had a conversation with TJ Drennan last night about AD&D 2nd Edition. And we were kind of really getting into the integrity about, you know, combat and tactics and stuff. And how people have often slated it, but there's some really good things in there around the sort of turn segments and how the really good unique mechanics that were in there that weren't in other editions. And I really agreed with them. And maybe really want to go and run a 2E campaign again. And I know for a fact that if I want to run a longer running D&D campaign, I would absolutely 100% go with a second edition game. Um, as it stands, though, I'm not really planning on doing D&D. I think I want to kind of make it a bit more general um, because I talked about other ones I'd really like to really get to know a system fully and I'd rather have a system then that I could run lots of other things in. Um, I'd really love to run some sort of post-apocalyptic game. Um, I don't know, there's After the End for GURPS, for example. I really like some hard sci-fi games and some of the like, travel-esque kind of games, which, again, GURPS can do. This is why I'm kind of leaning towards GURPS. Um, I have looked at some others. I think I mentioned before, I looked at Iaba. I looked 
at um, Savage World, and I also looked at what's in the little basic role playing by Chaosium, um, again, percentile system. So, basic role playing is all right, but it really wasn't doing it for me. Savage Worlds, I was very tempted by Savage Worlds. I still have a little bit of an issue. Again, not really rational about this, like rolling the different dice for different things, but I do like the sort of fairly flat success number, but it's basically most things, most times you roll over four, and that's kind of how that mechanic works. Um, but I think for me, I prefer the intuitive thing. For me, it's the intuitive anyway, that for GURPS you have like set stats that link to attributes and you just got to roll under that number and then anything else just changes that number. And I, I, I don't know, that just seems to really work with me. Um, again, we'll have to play a few more games and see how I feel. I probably would like to probably try and play a few more Savage Worlds games and see how they go as well and sort of get to know those. It should be worth saying it's a suede edition that I was looking at. I know there's lots of other editions out there from back in the day, um, but that's the main one I was looking at. You know, I, I've not shelved it completely. I do think I'd like to run it. I think... Um, from a personal experience, although they are both sort of generic and they both have the ability to tweak them, I feel like Savage Worlds is very much geared a lot more for the cinematic sort of style of playing and GURPS is possibly more, sort of from its baseline, more towards a realistic thing and you sort of add more of the cinematic things on top of it. And it does talk a lot in the GURPS rules about what's cinematic and what isn't. I feel like I could, I could tweak GURPS a lot more. I could really pull those different things in and once you learn the rule system, I could sort of really go to the stupidly fantastical levels. Whereas with Savage Worlds, I, I'm kind of not convinced you could bring it to gritty realism quite so easily. Um, but, you know, that's just my personal opinion. Like I said, I don't really play enough Savage Worlds to do it. So I guess the main thing about this little ramble bit on the end is just to say that, you know, although my brain is all over the place and there's a million games out there that I want to play and I will always say, oh, I'd love to play this game. I'd love to play that game. The fact is, I just don't have the time. I feel like Jason's sort of limited best, that, although he's got physical games. I've got lots of PDFs. I've got folders and folders of PDF games I've purchased that sit there collecting you know, virtual dust because I never, you never run them and never do anything with them. Um, and I know I'm not unique in that. So I know those out there who'll be listening to thinking, yep, that's me as well. Um, but it's one of the things, there's just so many stories I like to tell, so many games I like to play, so many systems I like to try. But I think what I'm going to try and do is, despite my infinite dreams, is try and sort of pull that back and try and see if I can focus on. So finishing off doing the D&D games with Jason and Shandy when I um, kind of get them back to Bob when we all get back to normality in some ways maybe do that need to get the boot hill play by post up and running and play that one along and then I think kind of focus more and sort of maybe learning GURPS and trying to master GURPS and go with that I really love to play in some of Che's games but diaries just don't really align at the moment with the home situation don't really have free evenings and weekends unfortunately it's during the day that I occasionally have times that I can you know take some time off work effectively to kind of fit that in there and you know, play it that way. Anyway, that's the end of my ramble today. Well, that's it for episode 19. Just wanted to close out and by, first of all, saying, Jason, I hope this one's long enough for you. I mean, it's almost half an hour, not quite. Um, just a bit shy on there, unless I ramble on about my contact details long enough to make it hit the 30-minute the mark, but I don't think I will. Um, if you do want to get hold of me, you can contact me on Twitter at GMShadow. You can also email me at gmshadow@hotmail.com, or you can come here on Anchor and leave me a voice message. I'd love to have them. Jason rings in all the time. Um, I feel a bit lonely. Not many people calling in these days. Please leave a message even to say, you're sure rubbish i don't want to listen to it ever again you know either will be fine i'm quite happy i don't mind negative comments as long as no people are listening to it um 
going to move on next time i really want to do one of my why is game x the worst and the best in the world i'm really tempted to do fifth edition just for the controversy and see if i can get a stupidly high number of hits like everybody else does but i'm also really tempted to do gerbs why is gerbs the best system ever and why is it also the worst system in the world so if anyone's got any opinions of whether you'd rather hear my opinions on gerbs or fifth edition first please call in and let me know or leave me a message and let me know and i will pick whoever convinces me to do what they want i'm quite easily led that way if you convince me i'll do anything you say well almost anything okay until next time anyway peeps keep on gaming <laughs>